If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and let's turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter will be in chapter 3 uh, as we are moving through this book. We've now finished uh, the, the chapter in chapter 2 on, on false teachers. Uh, and, and really, what's interesting for many people is they associate 2 Peter with false teaching and false teachers. And, and not wrongly so, because it is, like we talked about, the one book that explicitly mentions the idea of false teachers, pseudo-didaskalos. That's found in 2 Peter. You have this whole long chapter about it. But we would be wrong if we thought that 2 Peter was a book about false teaching or false teachers, that it was just a denunciation of what's wrong. 2 Peter is not mostly a denunciation of false teachers, but an exhortation to the body of Christ. 2 Peter is not written to false teachers, it's written to the church. And in fact, most of the content of 2 Peter is encouraging the church to chew on good things, not just to spit out bad things, right? It's not, 2 Peter isn't just a book on what you spit out. 2 Peter is a book on what you need to chew on. That the church needs to be chewing on the good. And that that is the primary way that the church will actually protect themselves against false teaching. Is to be a church that chews consistently on the good and healthy word of God. And so we're going to see that in this, in this next chapter. He's going to move back now out of chapter 2 into chapter 3. And we're going to see that he's going to bring back up a lot of the same things that he talked about in chapter 1. So just as you're looking here, you're going to see Peter's going to start to switch words. In chapter 2, if you're kind of scanning through chapter 2, you're going to see a lot of they, 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 they. In chapter 3, he's going to switch to you. He's talking to the church again. He's saying, you be like this. You do this. He's still going to mention the they in a couple of verses to say, now watch out for them doing this. But chapter 3 is switching back to much of the same way that he talked in chapter 1. You're going to see in chapter 3, instead of they, he's going to mention beloved, my beloved. It's going to be brought up you know, four times there in this chapter. But Peter doesn't just switch words. It didn't just start, okay, we've got to switch in themes because he's not saying they, he's saying you. You can also see many of the same themes in chapter 1 that he now picks back up again in chapter 3. In many ways, chapter 2 is almost like an excursus. Almost like a stepping out of the letter to talk about false teaching and then getting right back into the same themes that he brought up in chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles there and you can see chapter 1 and chapter 3 at the same time, you'll see, uh, for example, phrases that he used before. So when you look in chapter 1, chapter 1 verse 13, what does he say he wants to do? He wants to stir you up by way of reminder. Now look at chapter 3 verse 1. What does he say? That he's stirring you up, stirring up your sincere mind. How? By way of reminder. In the Greek, these are almost the exact same sentence. Almost the exact same phraseology in the Greek. You see the same thing in chapter 1, verse 20. Knowing this, first of all. Right? Now what do we see in chapter 3, verse 3? Knowing this, first of all. 
Right? Peter doesn't have a limited vocabulary. Peter is wanting us to see here that he's pulling us now back, reminding us in another way of what he has already talked about in chapter 1. So he's sort of resetting our minds, right? He's like, I just talked about these false teachers, and now I want to reset your mind to the importance of God's word for your life. And so he's going to talk about remembering in in chapter 3 again. He's going to bring up the themes of the end again in chapter 3. He's going to uh, focus on relying on the right resources. You remember in chapter 1, he talked about the, the, the witness of the apostles and the words of the prophets. Well, now in chapter 3, he's going to talk about those same things, but he's going to switch it. He's going to talk about in chapter 3, verse 1, he's going to talk about listening to the predictions of the prophets and the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ taught by your apostles. So again, he's bringing all these words back. All these themes back, and that is not by accident. He's wanting to reset our minds now, again, to what he talked about in chapter 1. So, so to the, to the, as Zach likes to say, to the careful reader or the, the reasoned reader, it is obvious. If you're reading through Second Peter and you're just sitting down and reading it, it's obvious now, after you've just gotten done reading chapter 2, you start reading chapter 3 and you're going, wait, I've heard all this before. I've heard these words before. Knowing this, first of all, where have I heard that? You're, you go to your concordance, right? Where do I know that phrase? Like, oh, chapter one. It was like, it was like two minutes ago. Uh, you know, the, these things that are a first word. Where do, I, where do I know that? Oh, right back here at the beginning. Stirring you up. Where does that come from? Oh, that's right back in chapter one. Which, again, is another reason that it's good to read through a book in one sitting. It's, it's good to take chunks, and I read three chapters, and then three chapters, and three chapters, of this, that, and the other, it is good sometimes. Those are good, right? Uh, but it's also good to sit down and read a book in one sitting. Uh, and if you were doing that and reading Second Peter in one sitting, uh, those things are going to be, you're going to see those far more clearly than if it has been an extended period of time since you'd seen that. Well, we've been preaching through Second Peter, and as Miss Kate likes to mention, it has been an extended period of time. Uh, and so it might have been a while. It's been a while since we were in chapter one. So we're reminding you. I'm taking my Petrine position here to remind you, remember what we learned in chapter one. Remember that you saw some of these phrases in chapter one so that as we start moving through chapter two or through chapter three, that you are able to remember, wait, I've seen this before. He's brought this up before. You can break up chapter 3 into, into four sections, okay? Four pretty easy, uh, clear sections. I say that. People might disagree with me on how clear it is. Uh, one, remember that the Lord is going to come, verses 1 through 7. Second, remember that the Lord's timing is different than ours. It's verses 8 through 10. Live like the world is passing away, verses 11 through 13. And then live like you're waiting for that day, for that coming day of the Lord. That's verses 14 through 18. So now let's read 2 Peter chapter 3 together. 2 Peter chapter 3 will begin in verse 1. And we'll read all the way down through verse 13. This is now the second letter that I'm writing you, beloved. 
In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved... What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire, the earth dissolved, the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. I said we'd stop at 13, but let's, let's just read the whole chapter. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters when he speaks of these matters. <laughs> there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. As they do... The other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for stirring us up with it. We thank you for your spirit that reminds us of the things we need to know. We pray, Father, that today you would fill us, fill us with this knowledge, fill us with this grace, just as Peter prayed for his people. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, let's now look at uh, this uh, first section. Here as we're moving through, uh, that's what we're going to focus on, uh, verses 1 through 7, that we remember that the Lord is going to come. Okay? Remember that the Lord is going to come. So look at this first verse. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, 
I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Peter says he is stirring us up in these words that we're reading. That his desire is to stir us up. It's the same thing that he said back in uh, chapter 1. But he says, I didn't just talk about this in chapter 1. He said, this is exactly what I did in my first letter that I wrote you. Probably referring to 1 Peter uh, but if someone said otherwise, they just go, eh, didn't really matter. Uh, as long as you don't say he didn't write a first letter, you're okay. Uh, but referencing at least to one previous letter that he wrote to them, he says, look, I stirred you up before, and that's what I'm doing now. The first letter I sent to you was to stir you up in these things, and I'm wanting to stir you up. Again, remember that that word stirring up, like we looked at in chapter 1, is a word that also means to waken you up. I'm trying to uh, awake you. I'm trying to wake you up. It's the word, remember, that the disciples used during the storm when Jesus was asleep. They went and they woke him up. And Peter says, that's what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to wake you up. Peter's trying to make, he's trying to make woke Christians here. Uh, this is genuine biblical wokeness. Uh, he's trying to wake them up to what's going on. He says, look, I'm trying to wake you up. How, though? He's going to wake them up by way of reminder. But, but notice here he adds something in that that he didn't mention the first time in chapter 1. What, is he, what does he talk about here? He says that he is waking up their sincere mind. I'm trying to stir up, uh, uh, stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. In other words, Peter is assuming that when he tries to shake them, he's not shaking a dead person. Right? No one ever tries to wake a dead person. Well, some people do, but it never works, right? Uh, unless you're Jesus. Uh, and so here he's saying, look, I'm assuming that when, I try to, when I'm writing to you and awakening you by way of reminder, I'm, I'm assuming that your sincere mind is indeed going to be stirred up. In other words, he believes that these are genuine Christians that he's writing to. That their mind is a sincere mind. Now, sometimes Greek words are absolutely uninteresting. 99% of the time, when you're reading through it, it's a totally uninteresting thing. Here's a word that I think is a pretty interesting word. The word here for sincere is a word that literally means judged by the sun. I, I, so, so then you read, well, what does that mean? You're, I am stirring up your judged by the sun mind. Uh, S-U-N, right? Not S-O-N. Uh, this English can be hard to pick up sometimes. Uh, judged by the sun. Judged by that big ball of gas up there. Well, what does that mean, judged by the sun? Well, there are various tales in, the, in uh, ancient times of early sculptors or potters who would make something and it would have an imperfection or a crack. Well, they didn't want to scrap it so being the devious people that they are, probably Jews at the temple, right? Uh, being the devious people that they are, what would they do? They would take wax and seal up and hide the cracks and imperfections. So you're sculpting something, you chip off the end of his nose, right? And you don't want to be like, well, let's just pretend he's a boxer uh, or something like that. What do you do? You would use wax to give it a wax nose to reshape it, reform it, make it look right. And so then people would buy the sculpture, or they'd buy the pot, and it looks fine. They'd pay for it like it was a perfectly good pot. They'd get it home, 
and they'd have it sitting outside or uh, in ancient times, since you didn't have air conditioning, it didn't really matter if it was outside or not. It was going to get hot. And what would happen to the wax when it got hot? That's right. It would melt. And so something would be judged by the sun. You could put it outside and you, you would find out pretty quickly if it had any wax or not. Well, here he's saying uh, something, if something was tested by the sun, meant nothing melted off. How's that pot? Well, it's been tested by the sun. Uh, unless they had really good wax. Uh, this thing's good to go. It's been tested by the sun. It was also a word that could be used to refer to metals or things like that that had been tested by fire, tested by the sun to show that they had been tried, that they were true, that there were no imperfections in the metal. And, and that's kind of, it's similar, we see a similar phrase actually used by Christ in the parable of the soils. Do you remember those three soils uh, that, that didn't end up bearing any fruit, right? One of them, uh, the birds just came and took away. But another one, the second one, is a soil that was planted among thorns. And it was, it was choked out by the, by, as it says, the cares of the world. But then there was the other one planted in what? Planted in rocky ground. What happened to that one planted in rocky ground? What got it? The sun, right? The sun came, as it says, tribulations, persecutions that come because of God's word. That sun exposed that that plant had no real root in itself. That its growth that seemed genuine was fake. It was not sincere. It had not been tested by the sun. And Christ said when the sun tested that faith, it showed that it was not genuine. It was tested by the sun and it failed. Its salvation was waxen, fake. But Peter did not think that's what was going on with these believers. He didn't think that's what was happening to this church that he's writing to here. He thinks that their salvation isn't fake. He says they have minds that have been tested by the sun. They are sun-tested. Your sun-tested mind, your proven mind, your true mind, it just needs to be awakened. They may be slumbering, but not because they're dead. They just need to be shaken, stirred, woken up. Sometimes our Christian minds do need to be awakened. Sometimes we have Christian brothers and sisters who have sincere salvation, have a sincere mind, and they need to be awakened. They need to be shaken. And sometimes you as Christians, that's what we need God to do. We need God to wake us up, to stir our minds and our hearts. That even those who are genuinely saved can have moments where our faith falls to sleep. And we need to be shaken. We need to be stirred. We need to be awakened. But again... How does Peter awaken them? So how? If that's what can go on, if we can have, and we would all mention times in our Christian life that, that we were very excited for the Lord, and then other times where we are sort of listless in our Christianity, and we, we almost want to be stirred up. We almost want to be awoken. We're just sort of going through the motions of our Christian life, and we look back 
to when we were new converts or when we were in college and we were really sold out for the Lord or whatever it is and we look at our lives now and we say, well, that's not me now. What needs to happen? I need to be, I need to be awakened. I need to be, I need to be shook. Well, how is that going to happen? And we want God to do that. We want our hearts to be stirred again. Well, how does Peter stir them up? He stirs them up. Look at what he says. Stir up their sincere minds by way of reminder. What wakes up the believer? What rouses us from our sleep? It is not learning something new. It is, it is not learning some new thing that has appeared on the horizon, but instead remembering what we already know. He wants to stir them up, how? By way of reminder. So many times as Christians, we think uh, or we treat our, our Christian life as if it's new thing followed by new thing followed by new thing. So if, if, my, if my Christian growth is, has grown stagnant, what I need is something new. I need a, I need a new thing. I need a, a new book or a new study or, a, or a, a new experience with God or some new insight and then I'll, then I'll be fired up again. But Peter doesn't do that. He doesn't say, look, you guys need to be woken up so let me tell you this thing that you never knew about God. Uh, and it's going to, man, you're going to learn this and you're going to be awoken again. Let me, give you, let me give you this new study and I'm going to call it Second Peter. And it's going to be totally different from First Peter. And this is really what you need. This new thing. That will get you going again. No, what do, we, what do we need to wake us up? He reminds them. He gives them not something new, but something old. We think, I, you know, oh, if I had, you know, here I, my, my faith is stagnant. But if I had, you know, this burning bush experience... Or if I had some mountaintop experience with God, if God would just take me into a field and tell me something new. God, teach me something new. If you just, if you just took me and did, gave me this new experience, or if I got a new word from the Lord, then my faith would be stirred up again. Then my heart would wake up. Your heart may indeed be asleep. But what you need isn't something new to wake it up. That's not what that heart needs. If you're looking at your heart and you know, you're thinking, what am I going to do to wake my heart up? What sort of, what sort of uh, you know, paddles do I need to boom my heart back into beating again? What do I need? Give me something new. You don't need something new. You just need to remember what you already know. You need to be reminded of those great truths of the gospel that shook you from death to life. I mean, what are we going to get that is going to burn brighter than those hopes? What are we going to get that can stir us more than what Christ has done for us on the cross? What sort of new insight can we get that would diminish at all that glorious sun of righteousness that will melt any wax off our hearts? Peter knows there's nothing new that we need. We just need to remember we need to be reminded. Peter's made clear multiple times in this letter. What we need is not something new. What we need is to remember what we've always known. We don't need something fresh. We just need to remember. And you can see how important this was for Peter. Because not only did he mention it in chapter 1, he said, I did the same thing in the previous letter. And here he's doing it again, saying the same thing 
every time I've written to you, it's not to give you something new. It's always been to remind you. In the first letter, I reminded you. I stirred you up by way of reminder. In chapter 1, I stirred you up by way of reminder. Now in chapter 3, I'm stirring you up. How? Not again by... Now you've been stirred up by reminder. Let me stir you up with something else this time. No, again, it's the same thing you need to remember. As pastors, as, as teachers... Our job is not to lead you from new insight to new insight. <laughs> most of what I, you know what most of my pastoring is? Most of my pastoring, well, is, is dealing with Leslie. But most of my pastoring beyond that is just reminding people of what they already know. It's, it's not coming to people and saying, look, okay, let me, in, let, me let you into this you know, sixth level Christian knowledge that I have. I am a grand wizard of the Christian faith and the Lord has revealed to me things that, you know, peons like you don't get to see unless I bless you with it. Most of the time it's just telling people, look, what does the Bible say? What do you know to be true? Remember that. Believe that. Trust that. I think a lot of times when I'm pastoring people, they walk away saying, well, you didn't tell me anything I didn't already know. You know, I wonder if that's what the people in Second Peter said. We just told us that we already knew what we needed to know. That's what, a pa- that's what a shepherd's supposed to do. That's what a pastor's supposed to do, is to stir you up by way of reminder. As a shepherd, my job is to not stir up some new ingredient and lead you to some new source. My job is to lead you to the still waters. Nothing stirs your heart like still waters. The still waters... Of God's faithfulness found in his word. And what is it that he's wanting them to remember? In chapter 1, he reminded them of the qualities of the Christian life. He said, I'm going to continue to remind you of these things. We looked at those qualities and what we would call uh, Peter's fruits of the Spirit. Remember that list of characteristics that we went through? The seven things over and over every week. But in chapter 3, what does he want to remind them of here? Look at verse 2. That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. He wants them to remember two things. I want you to remember the predictions of the prophets and I want you to remember the teachings of Christ. Those that came to us through the apostles. Now what's interesting about this in, in Second Peter, if you like to write in your Bibles, this is one of the first hints that we get of the full Bible that we now hold in our hands. Our Bibles are a collection of the writings of the prophets, the Old Testament predictions of the prophets. And now added to those predictions, we get the teachings of Christ that came to us. How? Through the apostles. I mean, this, that's what we hold in our hands. And it also highlights that both of these, uh, what, he, uh, what he taught earlier, that nothing in our scripture is just the words of men, right? So, so this is how we got our Bibles, and, and neither one of these are just the words of men. These prophets speak the word of God, and the apostles that are writing now, including Peter, are not just saying what they want to say. These apostles are speaking the commands that Christ sent them to speak. So what do you and I need to remember? We need to remember God's word. So you and I need to, that's what we need to remember, the word of God, which means we need to be in God's word. We need to be in the word of God, and as we're going to see, not just parts of it, right? Not just parts of it. I mean, 
some of us have a tendency to see ourselves as New Testament Christians. And so we talk about the Old Testament as if it's, well, I mean, old, right? Irrelevant. I mean, we've got the new now. But is that what Peter does here? That's not what Peter does. Peter doesn't say that. He calls on them to remember the prophets and the apostles. So, so, so let's, talk about, let's talk about a little bit just seeing that today, the importance of remembering God's word, remembering the writings of the prophets and the apostles. Uh, because I think this is important for a couple reasons as we're going to be awakened in the next couple weeks by what Peter's going to say. The first thing we learn from just these opening two verses is that all of the Bible, all of Scripture, is God's Word. It's been very important for Peter. He reminded them of that, remember, at the end of chapter 1. Now he's picking it back up here. Remember chapter 1, verse 21, where he says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So there, very clearly, the Old Testament is not just the words of prophets. It's the word of God. In Paul, we see passages like 2 Timothy 3.16, where it says all scripture is breathed out by God. Who is, what is Timothy talking about there? He's talking to the church. What scriptures is he talking about? Well, not, certainly not just the writings of the apostles. He's talking about the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, the writings. And he's saying those things are breathed out by God and useful, right? Useful for teaching us. Useful for correcting us, for rebuking us, for training us in righteousness, that we might be complete, equipped for every good work. That's in what? The Old Testament. But now in chapter 3. So a lot of times, you know, we see people talk about, you know, the Old Testament, sort of the, the problem. You get past the Old Testament. You get it. Timothy, Paul told Timothy, look, if you just had the Old Testament, you've got a good chunk of stuff there. That stuff is not old. It's not rotten. It's not unuseful. So, but now in chapter 3, he adds to that. He doesn't say just the Old Testament, but also what would become the New Testament, the writings of the apostles. He said, the, the writings of the apostles, which are what? They're recording the commands of Christ. That's what the writings of the apostles were. These guys weren't just going out and saying what they thought or their new ideas. They're going and just sharing what Jesus... Remember the word apostle means sent out one. Someone who has been sent out. And so the apostles have just been sent out by Jesus with what to say. And that's what they're writing in their letters. When they're writing to the churches or when they're preaching in Acts, they're just saying the things that Jesus told them to say. They're just giving them the commands of Christ that have come through these apostles. Peter's actually going to make this more clear when he gets down to verse 15 and 17. Remember what we looked at when we first started. What did he say about Paul there? Remember what he said about Paul? He says that people, people, there are things in Paul that are hard to say. And like everyone's like, amen to that. Uh, but what does he say? He says that, that there, there are people who twist what Paul says in his letters. But they do that with other scripture too. So don't be surprised. And, and we read it that and we go like, oh yeah, that's true. And then we go, oh wait, what? Peter just equated Paul's writings with what? With other scripture. He didn't say, which is what they do with the scriptures too. He said, that's what they do with other scripture. Meaning, Paul's letters, by the time Peter is writing, were already beginning to become part of the Christian 
Scripture. So it seems pretty early the church was already recognizing that what the apostles were teaching is what Christ had told them to say. And that's not shocking because that's actually what Jesus said they were to do. Look at John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says that the role of the Holy Spirit, remember he's talking to his disciples, he says that the role of the Holy Spirit was to teach them what he had sent them out to say. And to remind them if they forgot any of it. So look at 14.26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And he's talking to his disciples here. He's talking to the apostles. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Well, what's he going to teach them? What's he going to teach them here? He actually tells us in John 16.14 what he's going to teach them. So flip over to John 16. He says, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit takes the commands of Christ and teaches them the commands of Christ that Christ would have kept teaching them had he remained with them. But he's going to send the Holy Spirit to teach them what they need to know and to remind them of what they have forgotten. So the Bible is not just a collection of men's thoughts. It is the word of God, the commands of Christ. So the first thing we need that we can learn from this passage is all of Scripture is God's word. The second thing we can learn is that we need all of Scripture. We need the full counsel of God in our spiritual growth. Peter instructed them to be reminded of both the prophets and the apostles. If they would have been tempted, what would they have been tempted to default to? They might have been tempted to default to the prophets. As Remember what the prophets said. Remember what you learned in, in synagogue and what you learned growing up. Remember what the prophets said. The apostles would have been the new thing. But if that was true for them, many of us are tempted the other way. Many of us are tempted to, to default to the New Testament in our readings and in our studies and in our knowledge. And there's, there's some validity to seeing the, the New Testament as sort of supra-important, right? The, the Old Testament speaks of, of shadow. The New Testament is written in the full light of the sun. But here, where Peter could have talked about how they no longer need the prophets, right? He could have said that. Here, Peter could have said, hey, remember, you don't need to, don't worry about the prophets anymore. That's all been fulfilled in Christ. Don't worry about those things. We've got the commands of Jesus through the apostles. Don't worry anymore about the prophets. But he doesn't do that. He could have said, look, Christ has come now. You don't need the Old Testament. But he doesn't. Not only does he say you don't need it. He doesn't even just ignore the Old Testament, which he could have done. So he could have come out and said, look, you don't need the Old Testament anymore. Or he could have come out and just not mentioned the Old Testament. Just said, hey, remember the commandments of the apostles. Not disparaging the Old Testament, but just not mentioning it. But he doesn't do that either. He instructs them to remember the Old Testament scripture. Which isn't all that surprising. Because as we saw earlier... 
That's how Jesus handled the Old Testament too. What did he say? What did Christ himself say about his relationship with the rest of Scripture, with the Old Testament Scriptures? Which for him would, would have, of course, been the Old Testament. What, did he, what he would have called the law and the prophets, as we'll see. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. It's a passage you all know, and as I start reading it, you'll go, why did it even turn there? I know that one. What he said, do not think that I have come to what? To abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Law and prophets, again, a way that they would talk about the major divisions of the Old Testament, of their Bibles. Jesus doesn't come and say, hey, I'm here. You don't need those things anymore. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, look, you've got me. He says, I came not to abolish those things. Not to destroy them. Which is how the word is translated in many other verses. I didn't come to destroy the Old Testament. He came to fulfill them. That word means to make them full. He doesn't empty the Old Testament either. He fulfills it. He makes it full. He completes it. It might have been in the shadow, but now seeing the shadow in the light of the sun makes that shadow all the more magnificent. It doesn't diminish the Old Testament. It makes it brighter. We now see it not just as shadow. We see it in the light now of the sun. Peter is instructing us here. He is awakening all of us to remember the full counsel of God's word. But we need to know it in order to remember it. For many of us, that's the problem. He might say, hey, remember what you've learned. And you might be like, well, I haven't learned that much yet. I haven't read it that much. I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very busy. I'm coronaing. It's very busy, very time consuming. We need to be a people who are diligently searching out our scriptures. Any of you who have come to me for counsel, especially if you're a new believer, one of the chief things I'm going to tell you in, in getting your life back to right, or what do I need to do, how do I fix this, you come to me, you come to Zach, we're going to tell you, get in your Bibles. Get in your Bibles. We cannot stress that enough for the health of a Christian and any Christian who comes to us emaciated and struggling in their life or their marriage, one of the first things I ask him is, have you been reading your Bible? Not because I think reading your Bible is some sort of grand talisman to fix the Christian life, but because I know that the Bible is your food, and just like if you do not eat physically, you will struggle from it, and tasks that should be, should be easy for you will become difficult. If you are not eating of the full word of God, your life will suffer for it. And so sometimes as a pastor, again, it's easy because all I have to do is say, have you been eating? It's like a doctor, right? I don't, I'm weak, doctor. I'm struggling. And he says, have you been eating? No, I've been very busy. How long has it been since you ate? I don't, I mean, I, every now and then I'll grab a snack in the morning if my kids don't mess it up, you know. We need to be a people who are diligently searching all of the scripture. And let me stress here, all of the scripture. If the only place you turn in your Bibles when you go to grab them is the New Testament, or sometimes just the letters of Paul, because they're so much easier to understand. If you think that, 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 that this is the only place you can find guidance or the only text that you need to remember, then you are handicapping your Christian life. 
What does the Bible tell us about, what does Peter say here? Remember both the prophets and the commandments of Christ found in the apostles. And, you know, the Bible actually told us of the importance, it tells us of the importance of the Old Testament. It tells us why the Old Testament was there. And it, it wasn't just because Moses had a rebellious people and they needed to write down and remind them of how rebellious they were. But what does Paul tell us in 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank from the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So here Paul's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking specifically about events that happened in the book of Exodus. Well, what value are those stories to us? Paul doesn't say, well, you know, but those happened then and it's not a big deal. What does he say in verse 6? Now these things took place as examples for us. That we might not desire evil as they did. You want to get into the whole question of the sovereignty of God over all things? Here, Paul says, those things, they did those things as examples for you. Those things happened to them. Those things took place as, as preordained examples to be written in God's word later for you to learn from. Or what about later in verse 11 in 1 Corinthians 10? He does the same thing. Paul points out more stories from the law, this time from from both Exodus and Numbers. And what does he tell us about those stories? He says in verse 11, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. Those Old Testament stories were written for people in Christ's time, in the end of the age. It's, it, they were not something to be discarded later. Paul says, look, they were written down for us now. They're examples for you. The Old Testament is filled with examples. So he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers. Some of us are unaware because we haven't been reading those examples. He says these things were written down for you. Some of us get to the Old Testament. We go, ah, just give me a new. I just want to read through the New Testament again. I just want to, Why are we doing an Old Testament book? I just want a New Testament book. New Testament books are easier to understand. We're doing, we do those things because the Bible says those things are vitally, they are written for you now. The whole of Scripture, not just the New Testament, is a vital part of the Christian life. The Bible says that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Like Zachary mentioned this morning. Well, who said that? Jesus, right? Jesus said that. Yeah, but who was Jesus quoting? Moses. He was quoting Moses. The Bible, it's not just that the Bible became bread when we got the New Testament. Right? Before that it was just rocks and no one knew how to eat it or what to do with it. The Bible has always been our bread, our sustenance. But if the Bible is our bread, Many of us are guilty of being sliced bread Christians. Only eating our favorite slivers of God's word. Our favorite verses, our favorite passages, our favorite books. 
When it comes to God's word, what Peter would instruct us today, what Christ would instruct us, is when it comes to God's word, let's make sure that we are eating the full loaf. Let's make sure we're consuming the whole loaf of God's word instead of tearing off our favorite parts and chewing and chewing and chewing just on those. All of scripture is God's word. And here Peter is telling us, and we need all of it. Let's pray. Just as we pray, we are going to try and make our prayers guided by Scripture here. So pray today that God would awaken you. Ask God to stir you up. Peter says that's the job in this letter is to awaken us, to stir us up, but we know that we cannot awaken ourselves, that we must be stirred up. Pray that God's word would do that today, that it has done that, that God has awoken you. Just in these texts that you're reading, think about how you, I mean, if you, if you are thinking now, oh, I cannot wait to start reading my Old Testament, and I may not understand it when I'm first reading it, but I'll know I need it. I'll know it's for me, and so I'll chew, and I'll chew. It's like when you give your kids something that is good for them. You may not like the taste of it yet, but chew it because it's good for you. And that's what the Lord is doing. Some of us need to take our word and the passage that we don't understand, the books that we don't get, and we need to chew in faith, knowing that this is here because I need it. And God might, if you're awakening to that thought and you're thinking right now, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to start reading all of the Bible. I'm going to, I'm going to start a, a Bible reading plan today that takes me through all of scripture. I'm not just going to be a New Testament person. I'm not just going to go to my favorite book anymore. I'm going to eat it all. And I'm going to chew everything from God's word. Realize who awakened you to that thought. It wasn't you. It wasn't me. You were stirred up by God's word, by God doing what you are now praying for him to do. And pray that God would awaken you today if you need to be shaken from your slumber. And some of you know your slumber isn't just reading God's word. You know what you need to be shaken out of. Pray that God would shake you out of your slumber. Pray that your mind would be a sincere mind. That there would be no wax, no fake, no forgery in your mind. But that your mind would be fully his, tested and proven by the Spirit. Tested by the Son and renewed in the Son. Ask God to make you and to make us, as we pray for our church body, to make us a people of his word. That you would eat of the full loaf of God's sustaining Christ-filled bread. Church, do you need to be awakened? Do you need to be stirred up? What is it that you need to remember? Let us get in God's word and we'll find a father faithful to wake up his children. Let's pray. God, you are good and you are good to us. And Father, you have given us your word 
to, Father, awaken us, to stir us, to drive us to see how Christ affects everything in our life. And as we see Christ in the shadows and then now in the sun, Father, we pray that we would chew of all of your word. That we would not limit by choice the nutrients that we take in. But that we would have a full diet of every word of our God. Knowing, Father, that in faith you promise to renew us, to awaken us, to stir us from our slumber. So we trust you, Father, every day as we open your word and as we meditate on it, even when we don't have the pages in front of us, we are trusting you to be feeding us, to be providing, to be growing us until we see you face to face. And we wait for that day. And we know that it is coming. Your word has already told us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.